Welcome to the Migraine Miracle Moment. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Turknet. I'm a neurologist, migraine specialist, migraine sufferer, and author of the book, The Migraine Miracle. In this podcast, you'll learn all about how to find your path to migraine freedom without pills. Let's get started. Howdy, B-Slayers. Welcome again to the Migraine Miracle Moment. In this episode, I'm going to be sharing another excerpt from a recent clinic chat live uh, Q&A session that we did with our Migraine Neverland members. The question uh, was, what three things have I changed my mind on with respect to health and migraines over the past year? So stay tuned for my answer to that question. Also, uh, we do have another clinic uh, chat live session coming this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, with these sessions, we alternate between topical discussions, so taking one uh, particular topic and I dive deep into it, uh, along with general question and answer sessions. And this next one is a topical one, and it's all about the link between histamine intolerance and migraines. So there's a reasonable chance that you've heard of the term histamine intolerance and know that it has or it's implicated in some way to a connection with migraines. But like so many other topics in the world of migraine, it's one where there is a great deal of confusion, in part due to the indiscriminate way in which the term is often applied, uh, as well as the myth-making potential of the internet. So uh, some of the things or questions I'll be covering in this uh, clinic chat live uh, are what is histamine? Um, What's the relationship between histamine intolerance and migraines? Um, Is it even a real thing or just an innocent scapegoat? Um, How can you tell if it's a problem for you? And if so, um, what should you do and how should you modify your diet and other behaviors in order to deal with this issue? So all in all, the objective is to clear up the confusion on this topic, separate fact from fiction, and then leave you with some very simple, actionable steps that you can take to ensure that histamine isn't secretly sabotaging your path to migraine freedom. And again, these live sessions are part of membership to Migraine Everland, uh, along with access to the recording of all of the prior ones, plus the entire archive of clinic chat transcripts from the past several years. And you can also just attend uh, a single session. So if you'd like to do so, you can visit at mymigrainmiracle.com forward slash histamine. All right, and now here is the excerpt from our last Clinic Chat Live session. What's three things that Dr. T has changed his mind about within the last 12 months regarding diet, health, and lifestyle? Um... I responded to Oliver. That was a loaded, loaded question because it assumed that I'd changed my mind on three things. Um, but uh, so I was gonna, I'm gonna rephrase it uh, to simply just the things kind of that I've changed my mind about over the years, or kind of updated my thinking on. Um, and I do think it's a, it's a good question because it's super important to be, you know, open to change and open to updating our views on health and. Uh, diet and lifestyle and nutrition, you know, in the face of new, uh, new evidence and, and new things that come along. Um, and I kind of think about there being two, two kind of categories here. One is the stuff that's kind of rock solid, fundamental laws of health and nutrition. 
and things like you know sleep is always going to be imperative um including for migraine protection so you know there's never going to be a scenario where getting two hours a night is going to be part of a uh, migraine protection strategy um, but there are you know areas of um, still there are areas of uncertainty um, so you know where there are open questions uh, when it comes to you know health in general and then open questions when it comes to you know the sort of best practices for migraine protection um, and in some of those cases where we have questions that remain open we kind of and we still have to make some kind of recommendation or have you know we have to we still have to um act in some way you know we have to go on the current state of the evidence um but you know we know that the science is going to change uh one example there is you know the, to take the field of gut health or specifically the gut microbiome and kind of how how it impacts us and how we can modify it and it's still very very early days in that area so that's that's something that we know is super important but that you should also expect um to see a lot of change in um so I was, I was trying to think back to where where I've changed my mind or, or at least adjusted my thinking in certain areas kind of since the book came out. Um, you know, that's part of the part of the reason for this community and and for working with everybody in in Migrant Neverland and, and beyond is kind of, is, is to continue to update and refine the program. Um, part of the challenge here is remembering what I used to think. Um, but, and, and also the, the greatest shift for me has been sort of how I thought about health before getting into ancestral health at all and how I think of it now. So, you know, I used to be of the opinion that if you didn't drink or smoke or develop a drug addiction, then you were doing pretty much all you could to prevent disease. Um, and that was because in my view, then, you know, most diseases were driven, uh, you know, outside of the ones that were directly linked to smoking and drinking, most were driven by genes and aging. And that I no longer believe at all. Um, rather that our environment plays the major role in the vast majority of, of diseases and conditions that we'd like to avoid and specifically uh, environmental mismatches in in our diet and lifestyle and that our our genes only kind of influence the scales one way or other depending on what environment we're in and furthermore that most of the things that we've attributed to aging uh, in other words that we'd thought were kind of inevitable deteriorations in our physiological function as we age were rather also due to mismatches uh, and and not just you know from more time on this earth um so those have been the biggest areas by far and that's why it's completely kind of redirected my own focus and health unfortunately most doctors probably still hold the view that i used to uh, and that's still that remains one of the big impediments to improving the health of our population um but in terms of my own, since sort of the book came out, uh, in terms of my own thinking, probably one would be the importance of, of the concept of energy density for uh, those with migraines and those implementing the program. So specifically foods where we, won't, we don't register the amount of energy we've added uh, into the system until we've consumed more than we probably needed. 
So thing, and, and that would include foods that are kind of still within the realm of um, evolutionarily appropriate. So things like nuts, you know, large quantities, um, things like purified oils, like um, coconut oil or olive oil, um, for things other than cooking, where you're just consuming them directly in some form. Um, things like milk and certain forms of dairy. Um, and then, um, and these things, uh, you know, that, like I said, those, those sorts of things still kind of fit within the ancestral framework, but were kind of imported um, from the low-carb community because there was a lot of overlap between uh, low-carb and ancestral health, but in retrospect, don't quite fit in with the guiding paradigm of um, mismatch. Uh, since you couldn't, you know, rarely wouldn't uh, our, our ancestors have been able to consume large quantities of nuts and handfuls, you know, maybe maybe occasionally, but they take a lot of work. Um, same thing with, you know, milk um, and same thing with purified oils. Um, so um, another one in the realm of sort of the, the ancestral health sphere, the uh, early papers about the paleo diet um, sort of had a lower recommendation for the amounts of saturated fat or animal fat based on the way they sort of did their analyses of, of, a, uh, of a presumptive hunter-gatherer diet. Um, but that those were ended up being based on eating just the meats of the animals and ignored the fact that, um, that, uh, people were eating nose to tail. So once you factor that in, it changes significantly the fat calculation. So that's been an area of change in the sort of ancestral health community. Um, another area specifically with kind of the migrant miracle program would be the approach to certain kinds of, um, starches. So um, there was a point probably early on where I would have been more skeptical of any form of plant starch. Um, but now, you know, the I think there are safe forms, um, at least in moderation. So root vegetables that don't come bundled with other problem, potentially problematic toxic toxins, which we've talked about before. Um, so things like sweet potatoes and turnips and carrots. Um, the caveat there being, you know, still recommending eating those as part of a mixed meal to avoid significant spikes in blood sugar and, um, and sort of uh, tailoring that to kind of where you are on the timeline of recovery. Um, also, we have, you know, I've, one of the one of the kind of open questions has has been what is the carbohydrate tolerance for someone who has reached stage four? So it's become pretty clear that people who are early on definitely benefit from lower, um, you know, total daily carbohydrates, including ketogenic range. Um, but kind of once you've reached to a certain point, you know, in your recovery. You know where it, where is the limit to that? It's particularly if you are including what we'd consider you know the safer forms of of starch in the diet, and uh, and there it still seems that in in my experience most folks still end up somewhere in the you know fifty to a hundred maybe one hundred and twenty um, grams per day of carbohydrates. Um, so that was a, that's been an area of the of uh, um, an unsettled question, but I think it's becoming more and more clear that that's 
that's where most people are going to end up. Um, and then another area probably have updated somewhat would be those who are engaging in uh, kind of high level um, athletic activities regularly. So especially um, sports that involve with a lot of glycolytic activity or a lot of sprint st stuff or where you're in anaerobic metabolism. And I think um, pretty good evidence that folks in that scenario can tolerate higher amounts of the, the good sources of carbs in the diet, particularly if it's taken done strategically, like before a workout and so forth. Um, I think another big area that came out since the book was um, the role of abortive medications in terms of sort of the long-term downsides and um, was even more significant than I'd realized. So I'd realized it was significant, you know, in my career as a neurologist, but, um, you know, doing the, impl implementing the program with so many people, uh, you know, made us realize that it, it was even more of an issue um, than I thought and, and absolutely critical to address first so that it didn't end up undermining all the other efforts. Um, and then another area would be the um, uh, benefits of tracking ketone levels. So uh, become, I think it's more often than not, uh, can cause more problems than it helps by sort of doing so obsessively. So it's not something I strongly advocate for uh, these days. Um, and then there are some things kind of that we've added uh, over the years. Um, one being kind of a, uh, at least enhancing the view of, of the uh, importance of gut health and the connection between the gut and migraines. Um, I think you can almost argue of, of migraines being uh, a, a condition of the gut. Um, it seems to be so fundamental to its uh, pathogenesis. Um, and then along with that, uh, the connection between high intensity or anaerobic exercise and its impact on gut permeability. I think it's likely that that's why it's such a powerful trigger. Um, we've also, the starve and sink was totally new since the book came out. Um, uh, the, the value of sleeping upright has been, uh, has been, um, impressive you know that we've something we've discovered something many other people have independently discovered um and you know can speculate why it is but and particularly what i'm talking about is the value of sleeping upright um when you have a migraine so to prevent the escalation that happens overnight and sometimes even as an abortive uh, strategy so um that's definitely something new um, also the, uh, avoidance of eating close to bedtime. So that four hour window, so that you're kind of at a, at metabolic equilibrium when you go to sleep. Um, that's, a, that's something that's kind of evolved. Um, uh, the other, uh, being the use of, uh, and this is a question that will come up, uh, later in this chat, but the use of carnivore in certain contexts or, you know, a, a meat only approach for a while. Um, so let me see if I had anything else. Oh, the, the one other, uh, along those lines, um, another open question in my mind that I can still go back and forth on is the tolerability of plant foods. Um, and that gets to the carnivore issue. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but, um, you know, where, how we should kind of think of, um, of plant foods in the diet, 
whether they should be a significant source of calories, whether we should just use them kind of uh, as as vitamins, um, or you know whether whether they sh we should conceive of them at all as part of an optimum diet. Um, so that's that's still an open question in my mind. And I'll talk a little bit more about it in the um, uh, question we have about carnivore. All right, so those are the those are all the things in terms of uh, the open questions that remain and the and the areas that will likely continue to evolve over time. All right, thanks again to Oliver for his question. Again, that was an excerpt from our last clinic chat live question and answer session. Um, the some of the other topics that were covered in that one uh, were: Can casein cause a leaky gut? A casein being a protein in dairy. Is taking a daily baby aspirin for other reasons problematic? Um, is there a difference between right-sided and left-sided migraines? Are there alternatives to eating eggs or other ways to get the same benefits or nutrients of the egg yolk? Can eating keto increase the chances of developing fatty liver disease? Are herbal teas okay on the Migraine Miracle Program? And how long should I be on the plan before introducing milk back to the diet? And what about yogurt? So again, those were some of the questions from the last Q&A session, and the replay is available in the Clinic Chat Live archive inside of Migraine Neverland. And if you want to learn more about becoming a member, just go to MyMigraineMiracle.com and click on the Resources tab on the top menu. All right, that's all for this episode. Now it's time to go out and slay the beast. Mm -hmm.